Hello and welcome to Obsession, where we get horribly obsessed, highly obsessed, <laughs> hilariously obsessed with things that other people might find odd. Nothing is too obscure, too creepy, or too weird for us to research obsessively. I'm Heidi. And I'm Rebecca. Join us in being obsessed. <laughs> hello there, obsessives. And hello, Rebecca. Hello, Heidi. So I would ask how you are today, but I know that you're actually not feeling that well. I am not feeling that well, which makes tonight's podcast particularly um, salient and interesting, I think. Yes, well, we do have a lot of illness in we, tonight's topic. We do, and at the moment we have a lot of illness in the world. Coronavirus is plaguing uh, China in very awful ways. And um, strangely enough, that's what uh, tonight's episode is going to be about. It sure is. Yeah. So, first of all, I might start with the end of the story. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to get people who have not heard of this person who we are talking about uh, to guess what may have happened to have put her in this situation. So, in 1932, a woman called Mary Mallon died of a stroke on North Brother Island in New York's East River between the Bronx and Rikers Island. She'd lived there in state-enforced isolation for almost 30 years after causing the deaths of three people and endangering the lives of around 50. Yet, Mary Mallon was not a serial killer no. or any kind of murderer in any traditional sense of the word. Yet, she was considered by the state to be so dangerous that she was forced to live out the last few decades of her life in isolation. So who was this woman and why was she deemed such a threat to society that New York and indeed the whole of the USA needed to be protected from her? Who was she, Becky? I know who she was. I'm not, I don't want to use this name because I know she didn't like it, but most people will know her by the name of Typhoid Mary. And that was the name given to her by the media. By the media. And she would not have liked that title at all. Um, but I think most people at some point have said to someone who's sick, oh, stay away from me, Typhoid Mary. Yes. Yes. And I think certain sections of the community are getting that quite a lot now um, that we're oh. dealing with, with the coronavirus. I'm yeah. hearing... A lot of really sad things about, oh um, you know, the way Chinese Australians yeah. are being treated at the moment. Yeah. So it's not, it's really not nice. No, it's not. I mean, it's one thing to be concerned about a virus, but 
you know, to use it as a as an excuse for racism, racism, yeah, is is just not acceptable. Absolutely and, not acceptable. And um, as we see in the story of Mary Mallon, these kinds of attitudes can be quite quite destructive. Very destructive. Yeah. So let's start with who Mary Mallon was. So she was born in 1869 in County Tyrone in Ireland. Like many young Irish men and women of her time, Mary decided to migrate to the United States when she was a teenager. A lot of them had to because there had been a terrible famine. Most people know, the, know it. It's called the potato famine. Yeah. And, um, people suffered very, very badly. So she didn't have the greatest start to life, I don't imagine. No, no. And a lot of um, Irish immigrants came to the United States with nothing. Yeah, and were treated quite badly as our new immigrants now in our countries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a lot of bigotry towards the Irish back then. There was. It's really hard for us to understand that now because now everybody seems to be in love with Irish culture. Irish, yeah. (laughs) Revolving door of racism. We sort of pick a different race throughout time. I mean, yeah, sadly. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So um, Mary stayed with an aunt and uncle for a time uh, when she first arrived in the United States and she stayed with them until their death. Then Mary began her career in domestic servitude. So before long, Mary's talent for cooking was noticed and she established herself as a cook in several wealthy and respectable New York families. Mary was an excellent cook, but she seemed to have bad luck when it came to the families who employed her. At some point, one or more family members would become sick and not with gout or pneumonia or tuberculosis, but with one specific illness, typhoid fever. It was almost unheard of for people in these neighbourhoods to have such an illness. Typhoid belonged to the slums, places full of poverty and poor sanitation. And nobody could explain these outbreaks that took place in these beautiful houses with modern plumbing. Least of all, Mary Mallon. She was just the cook. So in 1906, Mary began working for the Warren family. Charles Warren was a banker and he and his family were taking a long vacation in a rented house on Long Island. Mary was hired to be their cook, and all seemed to be going beautifully. As well as cooking delicious meals, Mary had a dessert speciality, (laughs) ice cream with frozen peaches. And remember that because that's going to be important to the story. Now, Becky, I'm not a fan of fruit in ice cream. Oh, I am. Really? I'm a fan of fruit made into ice cream. Have you ever had a bit of a segue here? Have you ever had ice cream made from nothing but mango? No, I haven't. It's really yummy. See, I have this thing where 
something either has to be completely healthy or completely junk food. Oh, really? I can't, I can't have a combination. <laughs> okay. So if I have ice cream, it's got to have like chocolate yeah. or fudge or caramel. Yeah. No and pretense to it. It's no junk. Pretense. It's got to be proper junk. If I want a healthy dessert, I'll have a fruit salad. But okay. none of this combining. <laughs> none of this. So everything was going well. Mary was making her peach ice cream. But as Mary had a habit of doing, she quit the household. And she did this a lot. She was a considered to be a very hot-tempered woman. Uh-huh. She was also considered considered to be quite socially awkward and she often didn't get along with other staff members. So she did have this, this habit of suddenly quitting and moving on. It's quite interesting that she did raise herself to such a high level because yeah. being a cook in a household, never mind, you know, quite an elite household, um, you, that that was the the top of the top rung yeah. of servitude. Um, even with her evident uh, temper issues, she must have been a very, very good cook to have such a good reputation and to be hired by these families. Yes. Yes, exactly. And she must have been a brilliant cook mm. because she certainly didn't have much going for her personality-wise, Yeah, I don't think, Yeah, um, which might be a bit judgmental, but... Yeah, although, you know, if you think about it, I mean, her, her childhood wouldn't have been, you know, sunshine and roses. No. And, um, she would have had to have had a certain amount of steel, steeliness to be able to go to England, uh, sorry, go to America so young by herself. And at this point, she's all alone in America. Mm. Yes, she was a very isolated person. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I I believe that she did have some family there, but they weren't really in in contact. They weren't really on good terms. And if she ever had any problems, she never had anybody to talk to about them okay well maybe maybe she didn't have any family or friends because she was horrible it that could be it (laughs) it could be that could be it (laughs) so she left the household and before long two of the warren daughters mrs warren two maids and the gardener all started displaying symptoms of typhoid fever The landlord was horrified that his property would be associated with such an illness. So he employed the services of George Soper to get to the bottom of things. I love this guy. I love George. I don't know how I feel about him. He's not so good at communicating as we discover later on, but he's certainly very ardent and very clever. He is incredibly clever. He's kind of like the... The Sherlock Holmes of plumbing. <laughs> I, that's how I like to think of him. Yeah. So George Soper was a public health official and a sanitation engineer, and he had the tenacity of a fox terrier. Mm. He was also a bit of a detective, as I said before. And so in his investigations, he asked the family a lot of questions 
He asked them about their hygiene, their plumbing, their food. He asked a lot of questions about the servants that handled the food. And most importantly, he asked a lot of questions about Mary Mallon. Now, Mary was no longer working for the Warrens, but that didn't stop Sofa's investigations. He and nailed. Yes. Um, now, Sofa was actually a really good writer. He wrote down a lot of a lot of notes about about Mary. This is a quote from the notes that that George made. Where there are so many servants, there is little food that a cook handles, which is not subsequent, subsequently raised to a temperature sufficient to make it harmless. I found, however, that on a certain Sunday, there was a dessert which Mary prepared and of which everybody present was fond. Ah. This was ice cream with fresh peaches cut up and frozen in it. I suppose no better way could be found for a cook to cleanse her hands of oh, microbes <laughs> and, infect, and infect a family. So. I am never going to look at peaches the same way again. No, 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 peaches are okay, as long as they're not in Yeah, but I'm going to be thinking about it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, don't get impeached. Oh, God. Hi, Sorry. I'll just, I'll stop. All right. <clears throat> All right. So George Soper um, decided to contact the families that had previously hired Mary. And what he found was that each of these families had at some point, whether it was during Mary's employment or soon afterwards, had members of the household come down with typhoid fever. I'm seriously impressed with his uh, skills of deduction here because oh, yes. you look at all the modern technology they're using right now to try and track the clusters of coronavirus. He just did this, you know, in a notebook using his own wit and intelligence. And that's pretty impressive. It's so impressive. It really is. And um, from the notes that he made, um, he was speaking to um, the people from the Drayton family. And in the Drayton family, and they had been previous employers of Mary's, um, seven out of nine people. Whoa. Um, came down with typhoid fever. Um, two of them died from that particular yeah. household. And uh, Sober, oh, sorry, George Soper wrote, Mr. Drayton and Mary Mallon worked side by side, taking care of the sick and attending to all the manifold tasks which illness brings upon a family. Mr. Drayton told me that when it was over, he had been so grateful to Mary for all the help she had given him oh, that he rewarded her with $50 in addition to her full wages. So Mary was actually helping out in the sick room. 
that's that's kind of sad in a way. It is really sad. It she probably really thought sad. she was doing such good work, um, as yeah. obviously did the husband. And it also shows that, you know, beneath her prickly exterior, mm. Mary may have been quite a kind soul, maybe yeah. a diamond in the rough. Maybe. Maybe. All right. So after Soper made all these inquiries, he decided to meet Mary face to face. Now at this time, that's a spoiler giggle, isn't it? Really? Oh yes. <laughs> now at this time, Mary was around thirty-seven years old, and she was working in one of the brownstone houses on Park Avenue. So, as we said, she was a very tough woman, and she was absolutely not impressed by this man who entered the kitchen and asked to test her blood, urine and feces. Well, I don't think anybody would in any no. era, never mind in that era, because in that no. era they believed that, you know, sickness came from miasma, not, not from poo. Um, so yeah. I actually have a bit of empathy for her at this point where she's going, what the hell, what kind of strange pervert, strange yeah. man are you wanting my, you know, my bodily fluids? Look, she would have been thoroughly creeped out. Yes. And she picked up a carving fork <laughs> and she chased him out of the kitchen, which I think is hilarious. So do I. <laughs> I. I have a real visual of that one. Oh, yes. So undeterred, he's quite a brave little fox terrier, Mr. Soper. Um, he returned to the house and Mary hid away. And he had to look all over the house for her. And he was finally able to locate her by a piece <laughs> of her dress that had been caught in the door. Yeah. And someone had obviously helped her because they, they piled up trash cans oh. against the door as well. But, yeah, the skirt gave her away. I mean, she was massively creeped out at this point. So um, he, he did manage to question her. She wasn't happy about being questioned, but she gave him some answers very grudgingly. So he questioned her about her private life. He discovered that apart from a man who lived in a boarding house that Soper suspected of being a lover, Mary was, as we said before, a very isolated woman. Mm. People were scared of her temper, and some even described her as violent, which is easy to, to imagine considering her antics with, with the carving fork. Carving knife, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, she appeared to have no family, or at least no family that she was on good enough terms to visit. She was quite a lonely woman. Now, something else that Sopa asked her about was her personal hygiene. Mm. Mary wasn't a fan of washing her hands. Oh, God. So, look, for anybody, this is a problem. But if you're a cook, look, it's, it's just not great. Imagine really. her fingers, unwashed fingers. Yes. Filling peaches. And this is why I'm completely turned off peaches now. <laughs> so, um... Mary wasn't wasn't terribly impressed by this. Um, so later on, Inspector Josephine Baker 
from mm. the New York Health Department was tasked woman. with bringing Mary to the Riverside Hospital on North Brother Island. But she had the door slammed in her face by an enraged Mary. Yes. Next, the police arrived with an ambulance. Mary desperately tried to evade arrest, climbing over a fence and then attempting to fist fight the officers who outran her. She was one tough cookie. She was a fighter. <laughs> she was a wildcat. <laughs> and even when they got her into the ambulance, yeah. a police officer had to sit <laughs> on her. A female police officer. A female police officer <laughs> had to sit on her. And uh, this police officer described it as being like in a cage with an angry lion. Yes. So that gives us some insight into, into Mary. <laughs> well, I have a certain admiration for her, I have to yeah. say. So Mary was put in the isolation ward where they did tests on her and they finally got her to to provide what they needed for those tests. And it turned out that Mary, although she had never fallen ill with typhoid fever herself, she was a healthy carrier of the bacteria that causes typhoid fever. It would feel very, very strange Maybe she never got to this level of thinking, obviously, by her reluctance to comply. But it'd be very strange to, to feel so healthy and well and strong and young um, to believe that you had something inside of you that was making other people sick. Yes. Yes. And it, it would have to be really distressing, wouldn't it? I mean, she'd nursed some of these people through their illnesses yeah. and, then to, and then to be told, well, it's actually your, your fault. fault. Yeah, that, that's a huge mental shift you've got to take. And that's if you are a relatively um, educated uh, person. She, she would have just found all of this to be an incredible affront on her as a person. And remember, too, she was Irish. So yes. she copped an awful lot of Irish are dirty, Irish spread disease. Yes, um, so she had that playing into her assistance as well. She wasn't, I don't view her as just being a horrible, um, ignorant woman. I view her as um, being quite intelligent and rational in her own mind and looking at these people like, what the hell, what are you doing to me? Why? This makes no sense. It would have been a very bizarre situation for her. Absolutely. Yeah. So poor Mary, she was put in the isolation ward then moved to quarantine at the Riverside Hospital. She was given her own cottage on the hospital grounds and all her meals were provided. And I believe it was quite a comfortable cottage. It had all the mod cons, but... Yeah, it's still prison. It's prison. Yeah. The near total isolation was really hard on Mary, as it would be on anyone, even if they're not a prickly... Yeah. soul like Mary is. And she was a very independent woman. She was. Like, suddenly they ripped away all of her independence, her career. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a huge difference between being a loner. Yeah. 
and being, being forced. alone or by choice yeah. and being forced into a position where you're isolated. Absolutely. During this time, the media was having quite a lot of fun yeah. in reporting about this cook. Um, and she was then given the nickname. Alas, Typhoid Mary. Typhoid Mary, that's correct. And um, in one notable article, there was an illustration that showed Mary with a frying pan and she was cracking eggs yeah, into the frying pan yeah. and the eggs were shaped like human skulls. Yes. So, you know. <laughs> so, so it wasn't just, the, you know, sorry. It's not just today's media that was sensationalised. No. The media at the time was far worse. It was. It really, really was. And, you know, she was given all of these labels, like the most dangerous, dangerous. woman in New York. Yeah. Which, in a way, she actually kind of was. Inadvertently. Do you know what? She was, but they really did exaggerate the danger. They made it sound like she'd been the cause of hundreds of deaths. Like she'd done it deliberately too. And like she'd done it deliberately. Yeah, yeah that was the issue. Yeah. yeah, they did their best to make her sound like a criminal. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1909, she sued for release on the grounds that she'd never been technically charged with a crime. Which was quite clever of her, really. Yes, it and, was. And she did have a lot of support. There were a lot of doctors on the outside and politicians who were strongly advocating for her release. There were. There were. Um, but, unfortunately, her suit failed. Yes. But the following year, in 1910, three years after her arrest... Mary was released mm. on the condition that she comply with regular health checks and, most importantly, that she would never again take on any job that required the handling of food. Now, they did actually find her work as a press, mm. and this to me is always quite particularly sad and poignant because um, uh, she had been the top of the servant ladder yeah um, to suddenly being the lowest laundresses were the lowest and i thought that was awfully cruel and possibly setting her up for a bit of failure absolutely and the wages were pitiful oh terrible terrible it was almost, it was almost and the, impossible and no respect like yeah. she would have received as a cook yeah and it was almost impossible to live on what she was making yeah and look, she, I think she just didn't like the work. I mean, she was a cook. It's what she was good at. And yeah. like anybody else, she yeah. wanted to do what she was good at. Absolutely. So, look, I, to a certain extent, I do have some sympathy for her. Uh, on the other hand, she did what she did next. Yeah. Knowing, knowing the possible consequences and even though they'd given her some education in terms of hygiene and yep. she knew the importance of washing her hands, she was still very slack in that area. Yeah. And, and that was her choice. 
Yeah, yeah. So she did stick with the lawn dressing for a good couple of years, though. She did. She did. She so tried. She, I always, yeah, that's what I always think. I think she, oh, she tried, but obviously yeah. something in her went. You know what? Stuff it. I'm going back to you know. What yeah, that. yeah. So she did take on other cooking jobs. Alas. Yes, which she did under the name of Mary Brown. Yeah. So she was being deceitful. She knew that she was um. Potentially, well, not potentially, she was causing harm. Now, she didn't go back to working in households and she started to work in restaurants, hotels. Which is worse. The infection rate is far more. Yeah, she has, she, the food that she makes comes into so much more, comes into contact with so much, so many more people. Yeah. And... She started working for a hospital. So in... Yeah, this is is the part of the story where I start to lose empathy for her, to be really honest with you. I've had a lot of sympathy for her until this stage of her life, and now I'm thinking, oh, come on, Mary, you know, meet them halfway. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I felt exactly the same way. So in 1915, Mary was working at the Sloan Hospital for Women, when 20 staff members oh. came down with symptoms of typhoid Let's fever. See. Mm. Surprise, surprise. Mm. As my mother would say, you'll end in tears. She should have known. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing I find really interesting about this time in her life is that it's really hard to know whether or not her workmates knew her history because they did give her the nickname Typhoid Mary. Oh, did they really? They did. And now I don't know whether or not it was because they suspected that she might be Mary Mallon or Or because maybe they didn't like her and this name that was in the media, you know, maybe it had a nice ring to it. You know, if you're going to pick on the head cook you know you might call them typhoid mary yeah yeah so i I don't really know um how much the people around her knew but i i do know that she wasn't liked and she was given this nickname i think it was just probably just a nasty thing because surely by that point i mean the department i'm not quite sure what it was called but, but basically the the government department that dealt with you know infectious diseases that they had a lot of pamphlets out they were doing a lot of um educational stuff yeah um so i would be shocked if they would have been okay with typhoid mary working with them i think it was probably just a matter of her name was mary she was a cook and they didn't like her so they called her typhoid mary yeah that that's that's probably the most logical mm. reason for that and here our lovely friend, the Sherlock, <laughs> the Sherlock Holmes of plumbing. And Joyce definitely Sherlock. not the friend of um, Mary. <laughs> not Mary's former nemesis. <laughs> George Soper was again called in to investigate. Oh. Can you um, imagine his thought process at this time of, oh, my God, not again this woman? I know. And he was on the phone with the director of the hospital. And the first thing he did was ask, who is your head cook? Yeah. And when he heard that her name was Mary, 
he kept probing and kept asking more and more about her. And then he was told, well, she's not very well liked. Her nickname is Typhoid Mary. And he just <laughs> went, oh, uh, yeah, no. not again. So, of course, he turned up on the doorstep of the hospital. Now, by this time, Mary was exhausted from yeah. life on the run. She surrendered quietly to the health department. Yeah, she was completely at this point. After a lifetime and decades of being very spirited, very defiant, yes. she really did at this point went, oh, okay, yeah, sure. And and George Soper himself did note down his his observations about her spirit being broken. Oh, did he really? He did, and he he had a lot of empathy for her. Oh, I didn't know that. So, you know, he was this little fox terrier of a man, you know, hunting her down. <laughs> but he did have a lot of empathy for her. Okay. So what he wrote was she was as strong as ever, but she had lost something of that remarkable energy and activity which had characterised her young days and urged her forward to meet undaunted whatever situation the world presented to yeah. her. Yeah, in these eight years since she was first arrested, she had learned what it was to yield to other wills than her own and to no pain. That's kind of sad. Yeah. In Even the though last... she had, you know, infected a whole yeah. lot of people, that's still sad. Yeah. In the last five years, although she had been free, there had been times when she found it hard to fight her battles unaided. And so that's what George Soper was seeing in her. So that's reassuring know, to know that that one of them saw her as Mary Mallon and not just you know typhoid Mary. He did see more to her than just the disease. Yeah, and there was no malice behind George Soper. He was doing this for the public good. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he enjoyed this for a second. I think yeah. he really did feel quite bad for Mary. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh dear, Mary was taken back to the cottage on North Brother Island. I thought that would have been an awful feeling returning to that, knowing, and she probably knew at that point that, you know, they weren't going to let her out again. Yeah. Well, she lived there for the next 23 years. Until her death. Now, she wasn't in total isolation. They did allow her some visits back to the mainland. And she was very compliant during them. She was. Yeah. She was. I mean, her spirit had been completely broken, Yeah, obviously. Either that or the enormity of all of this had hit her and she decided to behave. Well, she was a very, clearly she was a very intelligent woman. Because the way she mounted her her own defence during her first enforced quarantine shows her to be very smart, very smart. Um, And if you've read any of her writing and her defence, she's, you know, um, an intelligent, worthy woman. I I like to think that by this point she just felt a certain self-responsibility and was compliant because she knew she had to be, that that she was causing harm. Yeah, yeah. 
And I mean, just by making visits to the mainland, she couldn't do any harm. As long no. as she wasn't preparing food, as no. long as she wasn't. Well, um, a large proportion of the population did have um, typhoid fever uh, latent in them. Um, oh, yes, they did. Yeah, but because they didn't have actual careers that involved raw preparation, in fact, there were others like Mary mm. who did work with food, like there were some bakers, and the department actually paid them out um, to not cook anymore, paid them to, to not cook. Yeah. Um, that perhaps may have been a better option for Mary. Is if, It and, would have been. Yeah, paid her a been. decent amount to not yeah. cook. Maybe they could have got her writing cookbooks or something. <laughs> Look, I mean, apparently there were about 100 to 140 carriers really? in New York at the time. Wow. And Mary wasn't even the most deadly carrier. Really? So Mary had 47 illnesses and three deaths attributed to her. But there was a man called Tony LaBella. Typhoid Tony. At the time. Yes, and he was not called Typhoid Tony. Um, he caused 122 illnesses Goodness. and five deaths, but he was only quarantined for around two weeks. What was his job? Do you know? I don't know what his job was. I wonder and, how he transmitted. And do you know what? It's possible that some of these people... I don't know, maybe they weren't working class. I'm, I'm not sure. But I think with Mary, there was the fact that she was Irish. Yeah. And there was, of course, that bigotry towards the Irish. And there was that um, slur of, you know, the dirty Irish. Yeah, absolutely. Um. And also she was an unmarried woman. I did wonder that. I did wonder whether her sex had anything to do with it as well. And she was an unprotected woman. Mm. So she didn't have family members who were going to step in yeah. and, and speak up for her. Yeah. And, you know, it's just so harsh really, isn't it? You know, everybody else got a couple of weeks of isolation if yeah. that and she's forced to spend her life Literally on her. an island in a cottage with a with just her dog. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. After building yeah. quite a remarkable career, a deadly yeah. career, but a remarkable career for herself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when she went to the mainland, it's reported that she did visit some family members. And they absolutely hated it when she came to visit. Oh, really? And I, that just made me so sad because um, she didn't seem to be interested in visiting these family members before she was quarantined. So obviously she was that lonely that she was, you know, wanting to go and see these <laughs> family members that didn't even like her. And it was something that she would do regularly and they would... Um, apparently just dread her visits and they, they didn't really like her very much. They are probably a bit frightened of her. I can imagine that. Yeah, see, we're, we're sort of injecting our own, you know, post-millennial woke yeah. uh, impression of her and feeling sorry for her because maybe it was because she was a woman, maybe it was because she was Irish, maybe she's just a real vile, horrible person and, and yeah. was a disobedient work person and it served her right that she got 30 years in quarantine. Who knows? I'm, 
Yeah, I mean, she was a very socially awkward person. Before the quarantine, you can only imagine how much her communication oh, skills would have would have regressed. You absolutely. Know? So if you go online and look up Mary Mallon in Google image search, you will find some photographs of her. And one particular photograph was taken during her first quarantine incarceration. And, oh, my, you look at the expression on her face. <laughs> She is not she is happy. not happy and you can see her anger, her hatred, her defiance and her spirit um and determination really searing into the camera and I I feel awkward when I yeah. look at it because I'm there going oh sorry Mary I didn't do it it wasn't me <laughs> I think I would have done it but it wasn't me Whereas if you look at a photograph yeah. of her later on during her second incarceration where she, her spirit had already been knocked out of her, um, she has a very different de demeanour. And I know I'm projecting an awful lot of yeah. my own thoughts into these two photographs. They probably meant nothing, you know what I mean? But it's just interesting to look at them anyway. And I, I do urge you to go look. Yeah. And she was a very nice-looking woman. Oh, she was stunning. Yeah. She, all the women yeah. we tend to research are stunning, Heidi. Look, like attracts like. That's... <laughs> you know? That has to be it, Heidi. What beautiful. That has to be it. <laughs> <laughs> but she is stunning. She, she could have been a movie star. She reminds me a little bit of Ingrid yes. Bergman. Yes. Yes, actually, that's who she reminded me of yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Mary, whatever happened. Well, I'm, I'm really sad that her spirit got kicked out of her because she was a very independent, career-driven woman and, you know, it would have been interesting to see where she had gone had she not had this little, you know, uh, infectious disease inside of her. Yeah. Well, talking about infectious diseases. Yes. I hope that you recover from yeah, your Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just a sore. Maybe I've got oh. typhoid. <gasps> typhoid, Now, Becky. I've got to think back here. Have I been eating raw peaches cooked by anybody called Mary? I don't oh, think so. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. But in, in all seriousness, um, right now the world is a little bit nervous and uncomfortable with what's happening in China. Yeah. And... Perhaps Mary's story can illustrate to us that even though someone may be a carrier, people, they're a victim just as much as anybody yeah. else. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So stop being yes. mean to people who look Asian. Yes. I, I'm reading all these awful things about people not wanting to get into elevators yeah. with anyone who looks Which Asian. Which is really stupid and, and ignorant as well because, like, they've probably lived here since they were, like, you know, four. And you know what? It could be the white guy oh. standing next to you who's just come off well, the plane and is actually carrying the Well, virus. it's interesting to note it, that as I've been watching a probably way too many YouTube videos on this. Yeah. Anyway, probably um, as I've been watching way too many YouTube videos on this, I've noticed that there's an awful lot of nice Anglo-Saxon looking people getting off, you know, these flights and, and being 
handed yeah. around. So knock it off with the racist shit. It's got nothing to do with the Chinese, China. And they are trying really hard, really hard to contain it. Yeah. Here, here. Here, here. Go, Wuhun. Be st- what were they calling out their apartment windows? Be strong, Wuhun. Yeah. I'm saying that. Be strong. I'm saying that wrong, isn't it? Wahun? Wahun? Do you know what? I'm not even going to try. <laughs> You're just going to leave me hanging here. With... I'm just going to leave you hanging. I was waiting for you to be the first one Thanks, to say it so Heidi. I can copy you. <laughs> so on that note, I'm going to let you go back to Yes. Bed. But I have really enjoyed this little uh, journey into severe and real illness. And... Yes, um, yeah. Thank you, Heidi. Brilliant research. Thank you. And thank you for crawling out of bed. And, and I'm dedicated and to our sessions, Heidi. Dedicated to our <laughs> Well, we'll see you guys next week and please stay well. <laughs> <laughs>